This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses, structuring via story within a story. 15 minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Pung. And I'll be relating Howard's tale. <laughs> Very good. So this is another structural element we I don't think we've ever talked about on the show before. Uh, story within a story. Uh, Pung, what do we want? Where do we want to start talking about this? Story within a story is such a, it's such a beautiful and really delicate type of structure, I think. Um, I think it works really well for stories that you want to have kind of a mythical or mystical feel to them. Um, and there's always this element of like discovery that you want to uncover the link between the two. So I think, uh, I mean, we could start by just talking about um, some stories that that do this really well or ways that you can kind of back into this structure. Um, yeah, give us an example so people know what we're talking about. Sure. Um, so uh, I think a really great example, um, well, everybody knows Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, but um, a more recent example might be The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Uh, and in that uh, in that book, it's about a girl who she's got um, magical powers that she doesn't uh, fully understand where she can open uh, portals to other worlds. And uh, early on in the novel, she finds a... Um, a journal um, hidden away in the attic of this house that she lives in. And as she starts reading the journal, you realize that it has um, a much stronger connection to her story than you, um, than you might at first realize. And it turns out that she, um, Oh, should I spoil it? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, but realize it's, uh, things. <laughs> yes, I don't, I'm sorry. It's just such a great book. I just realized that I was about to spoil it. Um, but but it's a it's a great example of how you can have an artifact, um, not an artifact. You can have a story within the greater story that you're telling, and it ends up adding um, like essential information that you might need to understand the present narrative or uh, explains uh, magic or something like that. Yeah, a couple of examples that are not recent. Um, there's the Canterbury Tales. Uh, which I was alluding to, obviously, you know, I will be relating Howard's tale. He's not the knight. He's not the baker. He is the cartoonist. Um, also not going to Canterbury. Um, and uh, A Thousand and One Nights, which is a compilation of uh, Middle Eastern uh, folk, to uh, folk tales uh, compiled during the Islamic Golden Age and the the editors who put this together created multiple layers of framing stories uh, connecting this material. Um, it's uh, it's it, it's one of the it's one of the most outstanding examples of story within a story because of how many layers there are and and the way it's structured. Yeah, the uh, kind of modern one of the modern takes on Canterbury Tales is the Hyperion Cantos. And which, you know, updates it into this big kind of sweeping space opera story. And the way they use story within a story there 
is there is a much larger thing going on. This kind of sweeping across the whole galaxy. And by the end of the second book, you know, they have fundamentally altered everything about this vast spacefaring civilization. And so they use the story within a story element to uh, kind of illuminate different aspects of that society that they're about to, you know, that they're eventually going to change. And so we get to see what the different, some of the different cultures are like. We get to see some of the different religious beliefs. Um, and we get this very widespread visit, vision of the world um, as we are doing this much larger story that will change it all. Uh, and I think one of the other, um, one of the best ways uh, that you can employ this technique, this structure, is um, I think often when you've got a story within a story, you're able to um, illuminate your theme a lot more directly uh, in a way that isn't going to hit people over the head with it or come off as soapboxy because you're doing it within the story that is within the story. So you have a little bit more room there to um, like explore something like the theme that you're trying to get at or the, the lesson, if you have a lesson. One of, the, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is the never-ending story which is, oh, yeah. um, it's, I don't, most people know the film, the book, the, the, the physical artifact of the book is just also a beautiful thing. And, and one of the things that happens in it is that as the, as we go between the, the embedded story within the book, we are also, and, and then come back out to the hero's main, you know, real life and then back in the the lessons that he's learning um in both places affect the way he moves through the world and it's uh it's it's really really lovely the the other thing that i kind of want to say about this idea of story within a story is that while you can use it for a big overarching uh structure you can also um illuminate a story or or have the idea of story within a story affect something on a smaller scale um, or, or a, a microcosm. And honestly, the the thing that comes to mind most is um, Star Trek episode, the uh, the Darmak or mm-hmm. episode um, in which, you know, there's the, the you know, Darmak and Jalad at Tanagra. And it's this culture that entirely speaks in embedded metaphors. And at a certain point, the the only way to communicate is when Picard tells them another story. The thing for me about this is that um, that these smaller stories, even if it doesn't become a, a huge structural element, embedding smaller narratives into your work can make a make it feel richer. Uh, and because it it gives you these views into into the culture and and again contrasts, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's one of the strongest. It's actually my favorite Star Trek episode uh, out of any of the series. And part of the reason is it provides this kind of mythic backdrop to it. I mean, Patrick Stewart reciting Gilgamesh would be would be powerful in almost any context. But once they have established the importance of story as a cultural element, 
then him sitting down and relating the story of Gilgamesh by a campfire just gives it this absolutely epic tone uh, that is absent in a, a lot of other Star Trek. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, we are definitely far enough into this. we <laughs> well over <laughs> half. Let's uh, have our book of the week, which is also Mary Robinette. Oh, that's right. Um, so I'm going to uh, briefly pause to embed another story within this episode. Uh, Paranasi by Susanna Clark is a fantastic novel. Um, I listened to it in audiobook, uh, and the narrator uh, was uh, Chowotel Ijewofor, and he's just so good. But one of the things that the whole novel is him writing journal entries. And as the story unfolds, he comes across um, a, a trove of um, of additional material. I'm just going to say it that way uh, to avoid some spoilers that... Uh, that unlocks a bunch of things and makes you realize that what is happening in the story is not at all what you thought was happening. It's it's a really, really clever use of the story within a story. Cool. That is Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Yes. Excellent. Now, we've talked a lot uh, about ways that a story within a story can kind of recontextualize what's going on in, you know, the, the larger story, the frame uh, that the other story is within. Uh, it, it seems like this is very useful for twists or reveals. Uh, is that the best use? Is that the only use? Are there other things we can be doing with the story within a story? Um, well, that, uh, yes, I think so. But I would say that that's one of the, uh, it's one of the best uses, uh, because oftentimes when you have a story within a story, it'll start with the, the character who finds the story within the story, whatever, in whatever form it is, a book or an almanac or something. And they, when they find it are usually not clear on exactly what it is or how it will relate to their their life or their journey. And so I think it just creates this um, kind of an automatic desire in the reader to solve the the question and figure out in what way does this story relate to the present narrative or uh, is it real or is it not? Uh, because that's also um, usually one of the first questions that come up when you encounter the story within a story, you're wondering if it's uh, purely some kind of a fable or if it's a second reality that is also happening or has just happened. Yeah. I found that, um, the, it, up and up until, up until now, I, I typically just called this structure, the framing story structure where there is, there is a, a frame that is its own story and there's a story on the inside. 
Um, the, the realization that I've had recently is that with things like Canterbury Tales and A Thousand and One Nights, um, the frame is framing multiple stories. And one of the first structural questions that I'd ask is, are we going to build it like, um, like for instance, I think it was, uh, I think it was Name of the Wind. There is an outer framing story and then there's the, the meat of the story, which is just one thing in the middle. Or are we building a single frame, uh, you know, a frame like those uh, uh, photo, photo collage <laughs> frames you'll get at the big box store uh, where you have lots of little stories uh, stuck inside? Um, the, the, you know, the, the big framing story, I think, is it's a fun way to make a thing feel epic but the the photo collage approach is a great way to build a very complicated puzzle which resolves itself as you make your way through the various stories so let me ask a question of you all because i'm curious um you know now that we're talking about frames uh, frankenstein for example is famously a frame story uh there it is the story of somebody telling the story to someone else. Uh, but also rather famously, most um, adaptations of Frankenstein, the movies that have been based on it and things like that, do away with the frame. Um, what do we get by adding? What is the value of adding a frame to a story, of doing a story within a story, instead of just telling us the tale of Frankenstein without the frame around it? So historically, one of the reasons that you would have a frame story was to to lend a sense of verisimilitude. That, you know, this is obviously a true thing that is being shared with you because there is a narrator here in the here and now that you can relate to and and that will will guide you through the story. So so one thing that a, a frame story can do is to do that and and give that sense of trust. Um but the other thing that a frame story can do is that it can serve as, uh, in much the same way that a frame would for a painting, that you may have a painting that uh, that needs a very narrow, thin band just to set it off from the things that are around it, but that helps you focus in on the important things. Or you may have like um, a miniature that needs quite a large frame around it in order to 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 give you time to to get into to the meat of that that tiny tiny little thing in the center, so I, I think that those are things that that frame can do. I also think that frequently um, it is a th- a tool that authors will reach for because they don't trust themselves to tell the center story. Hmm. Mm. So as a modern writer, where you're no longer having to deal with some of, you know, like you used to have to do a frame story because that was the only way you could tell fiction. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot more leeway now to do that. So you have to figure out whether or not it's serving the 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 story, the emotion, the experience that you want the reader to have. The, the other piece... Um, of that, I would say, is whether or not your frame story 
is only around the outside or whether or not it has uh, interjections and interludes within. And those can be a way to control pacing. And those are are often useful in that way. Uh, Pung, let me uh, get your opinion on this. If an author is looking at their work, the story they want to tell, what are some signs that they might want to wrap another story around the outside or insert another story into the middle? Uh, well, it's it's a really interesting thing that you just said uh, right before this Mary Robinette, because what I was going to say was I often find that um, this technique can be really great to use if you're stuck. Um, and so it's interesting that you said sometimes you feel that writers might use it if they've, they're lacking confidence uh, in the thing that they're writing. But I would wonder if a lot of stories that end up having a story within a story ended up that way, or rather started that way because the writer was stuck and they were having trouble figuring out exactly the kind of story they want to tell. And so um, if you're stuck, and this will kind of relate to our homework, but it can be really useful in some cases to try to go deeper and to write a story within the story you're trying to tell because you're working with this really encapsulated, smaller version of the thing where you're just trying to explore the purpose and figure out exactly what you're trying to say. And then once you have that thing as a guide, you can build the larger story around it, or it can help you move the larger story forward. So it's sort of like a guide in reverse because it's a smaller thing, but it's a lot more um, straightforward in some ways. Yeah. You know, your, your description uh, actually calls to mind the Greenbone saga by Fonda Lee. Mm. which each of oh. those books includes little interludes uh, that are basically small in-world stories or legends or history pieces that are only a couple of pages long, but that she definitely is using to kind of help explain what's going on in the present, to give you cultural context for something, or just to, to let you know who this important, you know, historical figure is that someone's about to reference a few chapters from now. Um, and yeah. Anyway, well, they, they also serve as uh, as pacing because if I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly, there's usually they often come as kind of a an entre act, a, a thing where there's going to be a jump in time. Um, mm-hmm. a, so mm-hmm. so helping helping give that also emotional distance from the stuff that happened in the chapter prior, uh, which is a That's I true. think it. Yeah. Um, And I know that we are close to the end. We are over time, but I did just want to mention The Sun, the Moon and the Stars by Stephen Bruce. And that has a story within a story, which is the the basic setup is there's a painter, uh, modern day. He's trying to, uh, well, it was modern day when I read it in the 80s, but um, he needs to do a painting. Uh, The book follows him from beginning to end. And one of the things that he does, um, there, there's a Hungarian folk story that is cut up and interspersed through the novel. And there's no explanation for why you're getting it until at a certain point you realize that it is a story that he is telling to his studio mates every evening. Oh. And because he doesn't tell you where it's coming from, as a reader, you try to draw parallels yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's that is another thing that I think that this structure can do is that it can engage the reader by giving them another vessel in which to put themselves 
and draw their own parallels so that each reader can can wind up having a you know their own intimate relationship to this this work. Mm-hmm. All right, Pung, you have our homework this week. I do. Uh, your homework is to um, take or create some kind of an artifact within your current project. Um, you know, like uh, like a letter uh, or a diary entry or an in-world almanac or a spell book if you've got magicians, um, and flesh it out for a passage or a scene or a chapter, and see what that adds to your story. If it enhances the world building or if it, um, you know, lends depth to a certain part of the plot, uh, or reveals something about your characters that you, uh, otherwise weren't getting at. Sounds like fun. This is writing excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. This has been writing excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Pung Shepard, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us and to support us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 